Amazing Pleasure Town listeners, this is Aaron, and this is our fourth mini-sode. It is the second of a three-part series produced by our friends over at Reading Out Loud. It's a great story, and we'll get to it in a moment, but first we're announcing the name of our river. At Pleasure Town, we love for our audience to join the story, and we've had a contest to name the river, and actually we had two winners, two names that we'd like to use, a formal and an informal name. The formal name was submitted to us by Ellen McInnes, and her name for the river was Suduri a character from the epic Gilgamesh goddess who presides over beer and fermentation could not be more perfect for Pleasure Town. Ellen, thank you so very much. The river in Pleasure Town is now named Siduri. But also we have an informal name. Uh, this was suggested by our wonderful, wonderful, wonderful musicians, River Rising, and their name, of course, was the Rising River. So the official name, the name on the map of the river is Siduri, but all the residents of Pleasure Town refer to it as the Rising River. And now, without further ado, please enjoy our fourth minisode. The children slept in a large tent on the outermost edge of the fair, all lying on the grass, wrapped neatly in matching green filings, fantasy fair-printed blankets. It's too damn hot to sleep, cried Pete so loudly it would have raised Lazarus. But the others didn't wake. Only Sal, a girl a few years older than him, stirred to hush him. People are trying to sleep. I can't sleep. It's hot and I hate it here, Pete whined. Sal sighed. I can't sleep either. Not after the day we had. Maybe tomorrow will be better. You mean today, Sal corrected him. What? When it's after midnight, it becomes morning. So tonight is already tomorrow. But it's dark outside, so it's still yesterday. I mean, tonight. When the sun comes up, it'll be tomorrow. It's already tomorrow. But it's dark out. They kept getting louder as they argued, even yelling at times. But still, no other children stirred. Haven't you ever seen a watch? On a watch, it counts up to 12. It does that twice in a day. And after the second time, it becomes a new day. Well, what time is it? I don't know, but it's definitely after midnight, so it's tomorrow. But it's still dark. They fell silent when Mr. Filing appeared before them, blocking the moon. They stared at him, mouths agape. Pete reached for his blanket. There's work to be done in the morning. Uh, We were just... Sal started. In an instant, Mr. Filing seemed to grow and the lights of the camp fell away. There was nothing else in the world but Sal, Pete, and Mr. Filing. All else was darkness. Here come the kids again. Frank snorted and spit. Every town, every time. She gripped the reins like she wanted to speed the carriage along, but she knew she couldn't. Hush, that's the best part of the parade. All these kids getting a chance to work for it, to make something good of themselves. Plus, they're always so hardworking and well-mannered. I say get over it. They'll be gone in a few days. Yep, gone. Gone where, exactly? Back up north to Mr. Filing's finishing school. For refinement, they learn a little bit of business acumen here with us, and then he softens their sharp edges at this school. 
They say that's how the process works. Morella, the mystical seer and soothsayer, hung out of her open carriage window to wave at the crowd. Yep. That's what they say. It's really wonderful for the community. These children, they have a future. And they'll come back home to shower the town with prosperity. Yep. Prosperity. You act like you know better. In my long carriage driving career, I've learned to recognize horseshit. But it must be true. Marella covered her eyes and breathed in sharply. I have seen it. You ain't seen what I seen. Marella ignored Frank. Something had caught her attention. Would you look at these two? Marella pointed at two kids who had just joined the parade. A tall, skinny girl, about 11 years old, and a younger boy, maybe eight, but still small for his age. They stood out from the rest of the children. Not only were they dirty and their clothes ripped and stained, but they had a different demeanor from the rest of the children. Where the others strode the streets with confidence, they seemed to want to hide in broad daylight. Usually the children clean up a bit before seeking employ with the fair. These two look like they just hopped off the street. Where else do you find troubled youths? I know, I know. They just don't normally seem so troubled. Sal and Pete would follow Buster anywhere. He was the only one who ever stood up for him. Their protector. The brother and sister were nothing but hungry before Buster came along. Together, they became something important. A gang. And that meant food. That meant fun. That meant safety. Sometimes that even meant money. But more than anything, it meant family. They had no intention of joining the carnival. No intention of even going to the carnival. Hell, they wasn't even sure what a carnival was. But when they saw Buster join the parade, they were going to fall right in line. Sal pushed through the horde when she saw him, Pete trailing in her wake. Holy what, Buster, what happened to you? I got my face busted in, but it's all better now. Sorry we ran out of there like a couple sissies. We thought you were dead. Thanks for not being dead. Pete stared at his feet as they walked. It's no problem. I understand. So, what's the game, Buster? What's the angle here? No angle, Sal. I'm reformed. Come with us and get right. (laughs) Sure, sure, get right. Sure, but what's the play? I mean, I can play straight as narrow, but... No play. No game here. Then what are we doing? Pete kept falling behind the plodding pace of the parade. He was preoccupied with trying to trick his own shadow. Jumping and juking but it's stuck tight. We're going to work for Mr. Filing. Oh, I get it. We're running the long con. Buster shook his head and sped up. Sal rushed to keep pace, but Pete tripped over himself. She bent to pick him up. Buster, wait! She called out, but he didn't stop. More kids joined the parade, and Sal couldn't see him anymore. She pulled Pete up from the ground, and he dusted himself off. What are we going to do now? He asked. Looks like we gotta go to work. Mirella and Frank watched the children rejoin the parade. 
I just don't see the problem with a progressive program like Mr. Filings. Don't you think kids like that could use a helping hand? Frank snorted and spit in response. Mirella continued. I have to know how you could be so skeptical. I know Mr. Filing to be an honest man. Morella, you know him during the day. You know the businessman, the charmer. You don't know who he is in the darkness, in the shadows. You don't know the mesmerist. I've seen his show. You can't be taken in by the uh, theatrics. It's just an act. Yep. Snort. Spit. An act. The parade stopped on the outskirts of town, setting up in a fallow field. Frank immediately set to work, raising the tent, laying the rugs, hanging the signs, all the grunt work before Mirella applied the finishing touches, the ambience. While she waited, she smoked a cigarette and watched the other booths rise along the midway. In the middle of the hustle stood Crandall Filink, surrounded by fifty or so children. They sat silently, respectfully, while he lectured. Work is its own reward. You will not be paid directly, but your tuition will be gratis should you complete this apprenticeship. Delight in your productivity. Have faith in the end result. And show me your faith in thy works. Now, you will be assigned into two platoons, separated by age. Those twelve and over will be in the first platoon and given superiority over second platoon, made up of those eleven and younger. The platoons will further be subdivided into teams. These teams will consist of... He continued with more rules and regulations before the children, their roles clearly defined, dispersed among the booths on the swiftly forming midway to aid in whatever way they could. Two of the children looked confused... The same two standouts from earlier. The girl pointed in Mirella's direction and then tugged on the shirt of her friend. They meandered over. The boy seemed easily distracted by rocks, weeds, and whatever he saw on the ground. The girl pulled, kicked, and pushed him away until they reached their destination. Name's Sal, lady, and this is Pete. Suppose we're your help today. What needs doing? Before Mirella could respond, Pete saw Frank through the open tent flap, handling a crystal ball. Ooh, can I touch it? You most certainly may not. But Frank was already handing it to him. It's fine. We've got like a dozen of them. It ain't real crystal. Mirella turned to Sal. Didn't Mr. Filing tell you your job? To be honest with you, probably, but I wasn't listening very well. I was pretty bored. This is most unusual. You're supposed to know what to do already and just do it and be out of the way. Well, that ain't the case, so you want our help or no? I don't know what to stop doing that. Pete had put the ball back on the table and was twisting the prismatic ornaments that hung low from the chandelier. It's real pretty. It's delicate, fragile, like most everything in here, including my patients. Both of you listen to me. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go. Just get out of my tent and find a place to sit quietly and not break things. Okay, but we still get credit for today's work, right? Yes, yes, just go. Can I keep this? Pete held a prism that had broken off from the chandelier. Mirella growled as she chased the children out and then threw the tent flap closed, wishing it could slam. 
I guess we drew the short straw this time, Frank. I don't know. I kind of like them. Those monsters? If you want to call them that. I just like them because they're still kids. They're all kids. Some more than others. Stop with all this caginess. Just tell me what you are on about already. Well, snort. Spit. All right. Frank sat at the table, replaced the crystal ball upon its stand, and pulled a flask of moonshine from her boot. It's quite a story. Sal and Pete sat on the trodden grass behind Marilla's tent. She picked a blade, pressed it to her lips, and blew so it whistled. Pete found his shadow again, jumping and juking, kicking dust at it. He sat down after a while out of breath. No matter what I do, it catches up to me. What? Your shadow? That's because it is you. No, it's not. It's just attached. I can remove it, like my shoes. No, you can't. Yes, I can. I take it off at night. Everyone does. No, dummy, it's just the light, or the lack of light. Right now, it's the sun. Look at all the other shadows. Look at the shadows of the tent. Look at my shadow. You think I could shake loose my shadow? If you try hard enough. Sal considered reasoning with him further, but he interrupted her thoughts. I'm bored. Yeah, well, we're supposed to be working. Why, we ain't never worked before. That lady said she'd vouch for us if we got out of the way. You know, you're right. You're actually right. Huh. Well, how should two fine, upstanding young persons such as ourselves piss away the day then? Pete stood and looked back over to Morella's tent. He smiled. Yeah, I got a few ideas. Sal stood next to him and shielded her eyes from the sun. Swiftly rising before them was Crandall Filing's Fantasy Fair and Freak Show. The Midway, the Carousel, the Funhouse, the Vendors and Exhibits... An entire town next to a town had sprung up from the dirt. Fellow children aided seasoned carnies in erecting tents and facades. Everywhere there was a hustle of activity. Their eyes darted from corner to corner. So much treasure to plunder. So many places to hide. Here's how the game was usually played. Pete was the one who made the lift. His size made him the hardest to spot. Plus, if he did get caught, he could just plead ignorance and look sad. I didn't mean it, mister. I just wanted to play with it. I'm awful sorry. Sal was the cover. Often that meant distracting the mark or creating a story that explained their presence somewhere they didn't belong. Our mother was just in the bathroom and she told us to wait right here for her. Her words, honest to goodness. She didn't know we'd be in the way. Please excuse our intrusion. And Buster, being the biggest among them, was the muscle. While he wasn't the biggest kid in the world, he made up for it in scrap and grit. If you value your health, I'd keep walking. Today, they'd have to make do without the muscle. They walked with purpose down the midway. Sal decided they should look busy at a task just like the rest of the children. As such, they were ignored while they staked out their potential targets. Pete ducked behind the flapping bottom of a tent and emerged a few seconds later with two handfuls of chocolate-covered peanuts. They hid in the finished hall of mirrors to eat them, making gross-out faces in their reflections. It was from the vantage point of the forward-most mirror that Sal spotted their next target. That's the freak show tent, she whispered and pointed. I bet we can find all sorts of crazy stuff in there. 
The front of the tent was made into a caricature of Crandall filing. The entrance was a canvas cartoon mouth, and above it shone eyes of reflective cloth. Once inside, the children crouched beneath the wooden bleachers. Mr. Filing stood center stage practicing some sleight of hand. Other performers rehearsed around him. The strong man lifted a 500-pound weight with one hand, but Sal saw the weight bounce when he set it down. Why is that other kid not working? Pete asked, pointing to a small child in a frilled yellow dress twirling a parasol. I think that's the little woman. I don't know about world's smallest, but she's pretty short, I guess. Where are all the fun freaks? Like the lizard man and the one who eats the garbage. Pete snapped. The tin cans, the guy who eats the tin cans. Sal shrugged. Resting, maybe? Digesting? Who knows? At that moment, Buster came in from the back with some papers for Mr. Filan. He stood there at attention while Mr. Filan read them. Still reading, Filan clicked his tongue and Buster immediately pulled out a cigarette case from his pocket handed one to Mr. Filan and lit it with a match before falling back into attention. What's wrong with him, Sal? Pete whispered. She hushed him. A few more minutes passed, and Mr. Filan handed the papers back to Buster and went backstage. Let's see if we can't find out. I'm going to cause a little ruckus. When you see the chance, take it. She disappeared out the front door. A few minutes later, Pete heard someone shout, a sweaty man burst through the front entrance. Crandall, come quickly. Someone must have been smoking in one of the latrines. It's all lit up in blazes. Quickly! We've got to move! Get some water! Damn it! No way this backwater has a fire brigade. Everyone, let's go! We need all hands on buckets! Move! Crandall rushed out and so did the other performers. Buster heard the commotion from the back and came running, trailing behind him. A small hand reached out from under the bleachers and grabbed Buster's ankle and sent him tumbling. Oh, gosh, that's smart. Pete jumped out from the bleachers and reached to help Buster. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean it. I I just had to stop you. Your apology is graciously accepted, my young friend. He took Pete's hand, but Pete was too small to help. Buster picked himself up and made to leave. Now, let's do our jobs and help put that fire out. He made to leave? But Pete wrapped himself around Buster's leg. Don't go, Buster! I'm not going far. The fire's just over there. I have to help put it out. No, who cares about the fire? Mr. Filing cares. Fires are bad for business. Reusable latrines are expensive to rebuild. Buster, what about us? I'm sure Mr. Filing cares about you, too. No, what about our gang? Are you ever going to come back? Gangs offer no benefit to society. Stop talking like that! I'm afraid I'm going to need you to let go now. I have a job to do. Buster started kicking his leg to get Pete off. No! Pete's voice shook with the downstroke of every kick. Please don't leave us! Finally came loose. (laughs) Please, we need you! He sobbed, but Buster was gone, leaving Pete crying on the ground, dust caking on his tear-streaked cheeks. Sal found him a few minutes later. She didn't ask how it went. Maybe a week ago, we stopped in Enid, remember? 
I remember you getting fall down drunk on that white lightning you keep in your boot. What I do after work is done is my business. But yes, I was pretty far gone. Not too gone that I don't remember what I saw. I was way out on the prairie, drunk shooting, like you do, far away from everybody. I'm drunk, not stupid. So on my way back in, I had to pee real bad. I wanted to make it to the latrine, but it was so far and I was not real sure-footed. So I'm out by the kids' tents and I see a row of bushes to squat behind. But I didn't see the ditch behind the bushes. Of course, I tripped and skidded down the incline. Skinned myself up pretty good, too. Look at this. It hurt like hell. And I made a ton of noise. I have no idea how the whole camp didn't wake up. Much less the little ones in the tent just up the way. But they didn't wake up. So I'm down at the bottom of this little hillock. Rubbing dirt in my wounds, trying to stifle my cuss, and hell, I completely forgot I had to pee. And from out on the prairie come two of the older kids, boy and a girl, kissing, holding hands, you know, carrying on like stupid little lovey kids do. I don't want to interrupt them, or for anybody to see me in my state. Then, there he was, Crandall filing in the flesh, cape and all. You know that trick he pulls in the Mesmerist Act? The one where he seems to grow? Well, he pulls that stunt, and the kids know they messed up. They are deep in it. The scholarship or whatever out the window. They're busted, and they're about to get chucked. But all he says is, there is work to be done tomorrow. And then, nothing. They don't say nothing. They don't do nothing. Those two kids are just staring at the man, eyes wide, for what seems like ages. And damn it, if a shadow didn't cross the moon and make the night a little darker. Sounds to me like you passed out. You know I can hold my liquor. That's not what happened here. The darkness passed, and the kids slumped like they were released or something. And Crandall, he didn't say nothing, and neither did the kids. They just turned away in unison and went back to their tents. They didn't say goodnight, didn't make any little cutesy faces. They just went away. It was like they weren't themselves anymore. Just like you aren't yourself when you drink this garbage. You could think whatever you want, Morella, and I can't say I know what I saw, but I know I saw something and left me feeling sick. Again, the booze. You know they were with us till the end of the engagement, town to town. I followed up. Kept looking to see the two of them together again. Puppy love, like that? Logic isn't part of it, and following the rules requires logic. But I only saw them together one more time. Working a shift taking tickets. They are in that booth, inches from one another, sharing the same air, breathing each other. I see what you're going for here. There wasn't the slightest hint of sexual tension. Hell, they didn't make eyes or even touch each other once. Each was the picture of virgin piety. Smiling, courteous, respectful young folk. That made me sick by its own. There's nothing more unnerving than a well-balanced teenager. Frank took another drag of her flask and passed it to Mirella. You might be reading too much into it. I mean, they could have had a falling out. They still would have betrayed some emotion. Have you ever known kids like that to break up and be able to work in a confined space without there being a whiff of emotion? No. Something was, and then something wasn't. Mirella picked up the flask. We've seen a lot of kids come through here, and they've all been like that, courteous and respectful. Yeah. Snort. Spit. 
lot of kids. Hmm. Mirella absently brought the flask to her lips, sipped, swallowed, and flinched. Could be nothing. Yeah. Snort. Could be. Spit. The next morning, Mirella startled at the strange touch of a hand on her back. She and Frank had fallen asleep at the table, a flask, two bottles of whiskey, and a crystal ball between them. Miss Mirella, customers are waiting. She opened her eyes and saw the same girl from yesterday. But her hair was combed, and she was wearing a new shirt. Mirella put her head back on the table. You and your friend go play somewhere. I'll vouch again. Just go. But, Miss Mirella, we want to work. The fair opens today. Mirella raised one arm to shoe, Sal. We're closed. Yes, ma'am. At this, Mirella sat up. Wait, what did you call me? I called you ma'am. Would you like me to call you something else? Did you call me ma'am yesterday? I don't recall. If you'll excuse me, ma'am, I need to inform Mr. Fallon that you will not be opening today so he can adjust your take. Mirella nudged Frank. Wake up, Frank. What? You don't need me today. Wake me if there's trouble. There is trouble, Frank. The small one came through the open tent flap with a carafe of coffee and two plates of sausage. Good morning. You two are absent at breakfast, so I procured you some sausage from the commissary. Frank, Mirella yelled, and finally Frank lifted her head. What is your problem? I think there is something terribly wrong with your whiskey. Hey, Pleasure Town listeners. This is Emily Modaff, associate producer of Pleasure Town. We're still looking for a historical figure to mention in our second season. So if you have any ideas, and we know you do, shoot us a message at pleasuretownshow at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at PleasureTownOK or search PleasureTown on Facebook. And now to thank the wonderful people who made this episode possible. Pleasure Town was created by Keith Ecker and Aaron Cahoe. This mini-sode was the second of a three-part story produced in collaboration with our friends at Reading Out Loud. Hear more at readingoutloud.org. It was written by Ryan P. Duke and performed by Eleni Papa George, Lucinda Eels, and Brandon Paul Eels. Sound design by Scott Miner of Lucky Dog Audio Post, editing by Simon A. Smith, and original music by River Rising. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. You can hear more excellent shows at wbez.org slash podcasts. Until next time. <laughs>